Of course, like every other teenage kid, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. When I was 16 years old, I took off and drove across the country to Wyoming, went into the Wind River Range and discovered mountains. In 1973, Yvonne Chouinard founded Patagonia. I never wanted to be a businessman. All I wanted to do was do my craft and climb mountains. So then I had to figure out a way to where I was going to be a businessman, but I was going to do it completely on my own terms. Build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. Join us at Patagonia.com. Welcome to the Dirtbag Diaries, a duct tapes and beer production. With additional support from New Belgium Brewing, Kuat Racks, and Chaco. Um, I think I'm starting the recorder. Um, you know, I, I guess just start with a moment where you're in the van in, in February in Moab. Okay. So we were in Moab. It was cold. I remember sitting in the back of the van and, you know, the windows are kind of frosted up and I'm sitting there trying to work and um, not able to focus. (laughs) And I'm looking over at Brendan going, how are you able to focus on what you're doing right now? Because all I can think of is tomorrow you're going to go jump off of a cliff. (laughs) And, I, and, what, and, and is he just like typing away on the computer? Yeah, and he's just sitting there working like nothing's odd. But in my mind, just something felt like unsettled. What was going on? Well, I mean, what was the big thing that was going to happen the next day? So for a story, he was going to go base jumping with Mario Richard, who is, I think, if not one of the only, he was the only person certified to do tandem base jumps. So they were going to jump off Perry at Mesa and basically Brendan would be strapped to the front of Mario and jump off and throw their chute and fly to the bottom. And I definitely was not quite 100% stoked about that. Not quite sure how I felt about it, I guess. But I guess, you know, one thing that's that's curious is like, obviously, like you you do a lot of things where you know, you, you go fast on mountain bikes, you rock climb. And, you know, I think a lot of people would say that you're you're an adventurous person, that you're a risk taker. Um, and yet this sort of seems like outside the boundaries of your own risk tolerance. Is that the case? I mean, would you base jump? You know, how do you feel about base jumping? I, I probably wouldn't do it. Uh, but it's funny because people from the outside, I think they kind of look at these things and see it all as one, you know, kind of risky behaviors or something. And to me, it seemed totally different. You know, it, it seemed like something that maybe you had a little bit less control over the conditions. And of course, people who base jump all the time would probably tell you otherwise. But to me, it felt outside of our comfort zone. And just the statistics that you see about base jumping deaths seem to be staring me in the face and I couldn't I couldn't get past that I just kept thinking to myself well but this could be our last night together we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow you know we never know what happens the next morning so first thing we go to breakfast and we meet uh Mario's wife is Steph Davis and we meet them at the love muffin and they're totally cool and they are just relaxed and seem grounded and I'm like okay these people aren't obviously crazy <laughs> so okay it makes me feel a little bit more relaxed and uh, we drive out to Castle Valley, and 
they go to hike up the back of the mesa and they, ha- they have a specific spot that they jump from. And so while they're doing that, I'm just trying to stay relaxed because there's nothing I can do. And so I just uh, I had my mountain bike with me and I just kind of rode up and down the road and waited until Steph was talking to me over the radio to say when they were about to jump. And pretty soon I see their like tiny little bodies up on the top of the mesa and they kind of rehearse the jump a couple times. And then all of a sudden the bodies are just falling and falling straight down toward this talus field. And I mean, it, I want to say that it felt like minutes, but it really actually was pretty fast, which I'm thankful for. And of course, once the chute pops, I could breathe again and, oh, it's going to be okay, you know, but it was hard for those couple minutes and definitely emotional. Do you think it was almost harder to be in your position in that situation versus like, say you'd been the one jumping off the cliff? Well, I don't know, harder, but definitely different. And I feel like maybe somehow in my life, I haven't been in that position that often. I feel like often, maybe I have been the one doing something that someone else is worrying about. Usually maybe my mom is sitting at home worrying about me off climbing or something like that. But this was one of the few times where I was the spectator and the one kind of being nervous and going, oh, I don't know if you should do that. I just remember when Brendan landed and touched down, it just felt like this huge relief. Oh my gosh, you know, and we're, it kind of sounds bizarre, but it was kind of like, I felt like we missed a car crash or something like that. You know, like this big risk was right there and it was averted. And I kind of began to think about how my mom maybe feels when she's worrying about me climbing or mountain biking. And, and I remember a couple of summers ago coming home from a day of downhill mountain biking and I had hit a tree and had this big dent in my thigh and it was hobbling. And I remember the look that Brendan gave me. And I think that moment watching him jump was just the first most crystallized, like clear understanding of that worry. And I love you and I don't want to lose you, but I understand you need to do this. And maybe that's part of why you're so awesome is because you do these things. And maybe that's part of what attracts me to you in the first place. But then several months later, when I read about Mario dying, doing exactly that, not exactly that, it was wingsuit, but it was definitely this just sheer reality of the man that had been strapped to Brendan as they jumped off this cliff. Now he was dead. So don't you hide beneath your wings You were made to fly Do you think, I mean, like in an alternate reality, say Brennan does that jump with Mario and he gets down and is like, that is the sickest thing I've ever done in my entire life and I need to keep doing it over and over again. Had he gone that route, do you think you could have kept sharing your lives together? That is a really good question. And I I don't want to say no, but it would have been a big challenge for me. And because I think it helps that the two of us have a similar perspective on risk versus reward. And I think that that is why we've worked so far. And so something like that, it just, you don't want to say no, because obviously that person, that the spark is what I love about him, but it would be such a continual source of stress and worry, you know, 
But then at the same time, I'm like, well, I would probably, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I wanted to try it too, if it was that awesome. But then my poor mom would be worrying, you know. There's an old saying, you don't get to pick who you love. Maybe you don't get to plan who you fall in love with, but we do get to choose our partners. We can decide before we get into a relationship with someone whether or not we feel comfortable with the amount of risk they expose themselves to. Other kinds of relationships, we don't get to choose based on what we're comfortable with. I don't know what my son will turn out to be as a teenager or an adult. I will encourage him to take risks, risks that allow him to fail and learn, but ultimately, I know I can't control who he becomes, and if he grows up to take the same kinds of risks that I did, I don't get to stop loving him. Today, we bring you a story about the struggle of loving an adventurer. The struggle between loving them so much that you don't want to see them get hurt, and loving them so much that you want to support them in pursuing their dreams, and doing the things that make them them. Today, we bring you Mothers Have It Hardest, a story from good friends Kyle and Terry Dempster. I'm Fitzka Hall, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. I'm sick of seeing my friends. Yeah, I'm sick, sick of seeing my friends. You can't walk them out of my stars. I told her I wanted to go solo a big wall in Pakistan by myself. I mean, what is that like for a mother to hear? Um, I got throttled. <laughs> this is alpinist Kyle Dempster. He had just graduated from college when he found a photograph of Tahuratum, an alpine big wall deep within the Karakoram range. It took him five days just to reach base camp. He then spent 24 days on a portal edge waiting out bad weather and quickly realizing he didn't have enough food. Oh, Tahuratum. <laughs> That's Kylie's mom, Terry. I mean, I wish I had a recording of his voice because he sounded weaker and weaker and weaker with each phone call. Kyle called Terry from a satellite phone a handful of times on that trip, but both of them remember one call in particular. In order to get from base camp to the bottom of the climb, Kyle had walked eight miles across the glacier. On his way in, the ground had been dry and he'd been able to cross the glacier in tennis shoes. But while Kyle hung from the side of the big wall, rationing food and waiting for the weather to clear enough for him to push for the summit, snow was accumulating on the glacier below. And, (laughs) you know, the whole month I'm looking down at this glacier and I can see how white it's getting. After each snowfall, the the fresh snow line on the glacier is moving further and further down valley. And I was like, Kyle, what are you going to do? You need to get down off that mountain and get across the glacier. And he's like, Mom, it's raining down there, which was a total lie. (laughs) Determined to reach his goal, Kyle ignored his mom's concern. The following week, he got a text message from a friend saying he had a weather window coming. And regardless of the snow accumulating on the glacier and his dwindling food supply, he decided to make a push for the summit. 
and he made it within a few hundred meters of his goal. But with more weather rolling in, he knew it was time to turn around. I came back down. I ate the last of my food and started off on what I'd hoped to be a two-day return to my base camp, but ended up being four days uh, where I did not eat. It was like thigh-deep snow for the eight miles back to base camp. I just, I remember finally getting to the small village of Hispar and meeting up with the Jeep that was going to take me even further down to the Karakoram Highway and just sitting down on that Jeep with the feeling of, holy shit, I survived. I remember getting off the plane in Salt Lake City and just breathing the air and being home. And I remember I walked down the terminal, turned right past the security, and saw my mom and dad standing at the end of their hallway there, just outside security, and my mom just bawling in tears the second that she saw me oh he looked like um, death warmed over he i was probably about 40 pounds under my typical weight um, his eyes were sunken uh, with a heavily um, blackened off. finger from he, frostbite his finger looked um, awful hadn't shaved um, in about three months cut my hair he was gaunt and, uh, yeah was just deep dirt Deep filth and deep fatigue. I remember real quickly going from, wow, I'm home, this feels great, to, holy shit, what did I do to my mom? <laughs> and that's that was the first time that I saw how, truly how difficult it is for, for mothers. She's my mom. She's, she's great. She's wonderful. I, um, what do you say about your mom? I love her. I love her. I live with her. <laughs> um, yep, that's right. 30 years old. Live with her mom. Um, I feel like we're really close. He has always told me a lot of things growing up that I don't think I would have shared with my parents. But both of my children are very open. So much of these trips that I go on begin far before just saying, all right, mom, yeah, well, <laughs> thanks for the lift to the airport. I'll see you in a couple months. You know, like it's December, January. And so we're like talking about summer plans already. 
And she knows that because she overhears phone conversations or, you know, me looking at photographs of big mountains or applying for grants. And Because I am always sort of trying to listen to see what's coming up. She'll ask, like, what are, what are you planning this time? You know, and that's when this multiple month long discussion about about the country I'm going to and about what type of climbing I'm going to be doing and, you know, how risky it is and <laughs> everything um, that begins. And I mean, I've canceled trips in the past because of both my mom and my sister you know, telling me, like, I don't have a really good feeling about this. And they explain what that feeling is. And like last year, 40 hours before our flight was supposed to leave to Pakistan, I mean, bags packed. News of the Nanga Parbat massacre came out. And my mom said, this is not the year to go. So canceled the trip. Uh, to me, it feels like my ability to do that is kind of me expressing to them like, hey, I love you and I value your opinion more than these mountains that I try and go climb. So thank you for giving me that honesty and telling me how you feel about this and you know what, you're right. I always strive to be honest, especially with family. When Kyle told me this, I asked about the phone call on Tahu Ratam, the one where he told his mom it wasn't snowing on the glacier as he watched it turn more and more white. Well, mothers are far more intuitive than we give them credit for. So regardless of if I told her or not, I think she knew. I know she knew. A week later, I got an email from Kyle asking if we could do a follow-up interview. He told me he felt awful about realizing he had lied to his mom and wanted the chance to explain himself. Yeah, so that didn't, that didn't really sit right in, in my belly. And I guess I've thought a little bit about why. And I think that in that particular case that she could hear the struggle that I was going through. And, you know, while I was concerned about the snow, I didn't feel like I needed to pass that along onto her because she was already, you know, worried enough. This family knows, knows about life and death and climbing. His cousin introduced him to climbing when he was probably in middle school. He had learned at a summer camp and came out to Utah uh, one Christmas and we went to this area in Salt Lake, just up in the foothills and top roped on a old seat belt from a Jeep Cherokee that Drew had ripped out. <laughs> and uh, I was hooked. Initially, I remember dropping him off at the climbing gym and feeling relatively safe with that. Um, you know, I made him take lessons at Rock Creation. 
it progressed to big walls. And then now, of course, he's doing high alpine climbing. Ten years after his cousin introduced him to climbing, Kyle told his mother he was going on his first expedition with Drew to put up a first descent on a big wall. And I remember when Kyle first started talking about going to the Baffin Island. And I remember when he told me that Drew was going and I sort of had a sense of peace knowing that he would be with someone that he knew and loved. And also that I could share that with my sister and, you know, we could commiserate or sort of help each other through the time they were going to be up there. After two weeks on the wall, Kyle and Drew completed their first descent and started making their way down. In the morning of the last day, Drew was headed down the ropes, repelling, and, and made a mistake and uh, repelled off the end of the rope and fell about 900 feet. I remember I was actually at a coffee shop in a drive-in lane um, getting a coffee and I got a call from my sister and it was the middle of the day and she was supposed to be at work and I thought, well, that's weird. So I answered the phone and she said, Drew's dead. And I remember my heart stopped and it's like I couldn't get a breath. And the next second, she said, but Kyle's okay. And then it was like I was able to breathe again. But then I was like, I felt so guilty because my son was coming home and hers wasn't. You know, I, there's times that I think, oh, what would it be like if he was married with two children going to a nine to five job? But I know that's not Kyle. And, you know, it's an interest, it's interesting being a mom to an adventurer. It seems to define who Kyle is. You can see in his personality when he's here. And he hasn't been to Asia, you know, it's been a long time. He starts, it's sort of like he's in a box and he needs to get out of that box. Why he has that personality, I don't know. Um, I know as a child, maybe it was partly our fault. We would lock the TV from Sunday night till Friday and wouldn't let them watch TV after school. We made them do their homework and then go outside and play. Um, from an early childhood, you know, we would stick them on our backs and backpack with them. We would have Kyle on the, in the trailer as a baby, pulling them behind us on our tandem bicycle. And so we introduced him to the outdoors. And now at times I wish we had just let him watch TV. <laughs>
All right, Mom, let's do this interview. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, let's do it. Um, and I guess to start off, my first question is, what would you say is the most difficult part of having me as your child? The most difficult part? Probably the week leading up to having to say goodbye to you as you leave on a trip. Wanting to spend a lot of time with you that week, wanting to take your picture and thinking, is this the last hug I'm going to get? Yeah. Maybe you and I would have the same recommendation to, you know, from my, my standpoint to the climbers out there and from your standpoint to the mothers of those climbers out there to, like, talk about the worst case scenario. Don't pretend that it doesn't exist. Express the love that you have for each other and also the insurance that in the event of worst case scenario, life will go on. I mean, I, yeah, I, I feel very fortunate that we have had the death talk and it plays in my mind each time you leave. And I think, how would I ever get through that? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I can't, I can't think of a more selfless expression than to understand that and still be supportive of these trips. Well, so that's awesome. I realize that climbing is who you are. You know, while her support for these trips at times is very difficult, she still provides it. And isn't that kind of the best thing that you could hope from your parents? I mean, doesn't that begin at childhood? Like when you watch a child roaming around the playground, exploring the monkey bar or something for the first time, they sort of have this apprehension about it, right? And as a child, they can kind of look back over to their mom that's maybe nearby or you know sitting on a park bench and she offers that reassurance to the child like go for it go for it I'll be here I have to say that I just love Kyle to death even though maybe he's cut a few years off my life with worry um, I'm very proud of who he's become and wouldn't want him to change I hope to be able to support him for many, many, many years. Like an old Marty Robbins song had to blow right out of town. Shot a man in Las Cruces, turned that bar into a holy ground. Screamed across the Baja. Thank you, Hillary, Terry, and Kyle, for your willingness to share your thoughts and stories. The idea for this piece originally came from a blog post written by Kyle of the same title. You can find the link to Kyle's blog on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. You can find Hillary's writing at thegription.com. Music today by Noni Zero, Jason Taylor Burton, Stillborn Identity, The King in Yellow, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, Woodrow Gerber, Dope Copy, Battery Life, and Drop Top Lincoln. 
Most of our music comes courtesy of Mevio's Music Alley. Thanks to all of you who have pledged to support the show. You are a part of our family. You make this happen. You keep the diaries alive and growing. If you'd like to make a donation, go to our website, look on the sidebar, and become a part of the Diaries family. Support for the Diaries comes from Patagonia. Visit patagonia.com environmentalism to learn more about how they're ensuring their products are produced under safe and humane working conditions. They also donate 1% of their sales to support the environmental organizations all over the world. Support for the Diaries also comes from Chaco, who is a little over halfway through their Fit for Adventure tour. Visit their website chacos.com or follow them on Twitter at ChacoUSA to find out when they're stopping by a town nearby you. Additional support comes from New Belgium Brewing, who encourages you to follow your folly. And from Kuat Racks, a group of avid cyclists, outdoor enthusiasts, and fine ale connoisseurs, I bet you they drink New Belgium, who have teamed up to bring you sharp design, quality products, and awesome customer service. See their lineup at kuatracks.com. This episode of The Diaries was produced by Jen Altschul and me, Fitzcohaw. We're taking a little break in August like we normally do, but we will be back in early September with more stories. We've got some good ones on the way. Thank you so much for listening. As always, have a great summer. Get out. Enjoy this world. Right now, you're listening to The Dirt Pack Diaries. Dirt Pack Diaries.